What's it gonna take for you to finally break up with your bullshit? Think what you could do if you could only break up with your bullshit. Oh. Hello and welcome to the Break Up With Your Bullshit podcast. My name is Michelle Aiken and I am fresh off the Break Up With Your Bullshit live event, which was just this past Saturday. It was an all-day event with guest speakers uh, talking on all topics related to creativity, inspiration, motivation, um, fear, building up prolific bodies of work, how to get feedback on your creative work. Um, I, I'm still recovering as the person leading this thing and, and who you know created it. We had over 50 people sign up. I let a few extra people in after we were sold out. Um, people were in and out throughout the day and there were a number of folks who couldn't attend live, uh, but are receiving recordings. And so we had, we had over 40 people in the room at all times throughout the day, which was just a wild amount of human beings, creative human beings to have all in the same room, be it virtual or not. And, uh, it was like, it was a lot of energy to hold and, uh, I pretty much went into zombie mode afterwards because it was so amazing. And, uh, and I reached out to a few people afterwards and asked them, you know, how, how are you after it? And, and how was it for you? And I want to read you one of my favorite messages that I got back. This is from Tish, one of our very esteemed original boops in the group. And she said, it was like the best day of school ever. Like, if there was a school where you really cared about every class topic and all the teachers were people you already liked and respected, and unlike algebra, you could actually see how everything you're learning will be applicable in your life, it was like that. And when she said it, I was like, wow, I, I had that experience, actually, being in the room of thinking, all of these things seem so relevant to everyone, and wow, this is, I'm like evaluating my own event that I created, I'm like, this is so well curated. <laughs> Uh, and it's interesting because I, I, I think that building a group like this and building an event like this is a form of art, you know, it's, it's a creative work. And so to be in it and witnessing it at the same time was just a trip. It was a total trip. And of course my brain was so on the logistics of the day that I had a hard time actually enjoying it, which I, I feel like if an artist at an art show is kind of like that you know, thinking, is someone, is someone going to buy a painting? Like, do people like it? How is this going? And it's kind of hard to relax and enjoy your own show. So I've been watching the recordings, which is very helpful because I can actually take them in now. And, uh, and I've also been in a lot of conversations with people who were at the event about, um, different things, what they got at it. And, um, and also about, they're bullshit in, in the aftermath of the event because we did a lot of work around support and accountability structures and how to set yourself up so that the day is not just one where you're learning a bunch of new things and then that stuff dies in a notebook somewhere. I've made a few jokes about that. Uh, but how to actually have it continue on. And and especially, you know, the power of being in that room with like-minded people having really important conversations about creating art and what gets in the way, that experience on that day was impactful for, for a lot of people. And consider if you had that experience more often, 
how much faster your projects would grow and, and expand. And so I know this because I'm in the coaching world and I have a lot of different support structures and groups I meet with and different things that I'm a part of that keep me going. It's kind of my, it's like, what's your secret? Well, I have a lot of support is my secret. So I invented something called Bullshit Rehab, which is a six-week virtual rehab um, and a, a small support group that I'm taking through a system to have them really get clear on their bullshit and break up with it in a whole new way. And so I offered that to people at the event as a follow-up thing. And a bunch of people signed up, which was super exciting. And the group we have is incredible. I'm, I love all of them so much, and it's going to be a really, really great time. And then a few people reached out to me and and were sort of on the fence. And this is leading into my podcast uh, topic for the day, because there was someone who explained to me why they're, they don't think they're going to do it, and then said, but I don't know, this might be my bullshit, and if so, please tell me. And, you know, I could have told them, yeah, it sounds like bullshit, and, you know, maybe I should have, but I... I was, it had me thinking about this question of how do you know when something is bullshit and how do you know when it's like an actual thing? And uh, so I responded and I was like, maybe bullshit is on a spectrum. Maybe you're, maybe you're never totally full of shit and you're never totally not. And there are just varying degrees of how much you're lying to yourself and no one can tell that except you. Like I could say to this person, yeah, sounds like bullshit to me. And the thing is, I don't really know. You know. And, well, and I'll say this. This is kind of like subtweeting. It's like when I'm saying something, I'm not saying who I'm saying it to. Um, but if you have to ask, probably. <laughs> That's like a rule of thumb, like a general rule of thumb. If you have to ask if it's bullshit, it probably is. Because um, usually when people really know something is not what they're choosing, they're just clear on it, like super clear, not questioning it. So that's an interesting thing to get curious about rather than something to be right about. I'm not, I don't, I don't actually think yes or no either way, but um just giving some different lenses to look through because I do think that there's a spectrum and I do think that calling yourself on what you perceive to be bullshit and then <clears throat> working to get past it is the way that you kind of calibrate your ability to tell. Now, I'll pause here and also mention that one of our other boops, Sean, brought me this idea, and he brought it publicly on the Facebook group, of fertilizer, that some things are, maybe they're bullshit, but they're fertilizer for my other projects. And, um, and he expressed that that can also become its own bigger form of bullshit because you just, you basically put aside the project that you're working on in favor of something little that's going to kind of keep you going. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it ends up becoming the thing where you're constantly going off and doing other little projects, little side gigs all the time and not focusing on that main thing. So the fertilizer can 
uh, stop being useful because I, I don't know how it really works. I'm not a green thumb person, even though if you're watching on YouTube, I do have this little tree behind me uh, that has survived many years with me somehow. Um, but I don't think that it's that that stuff grows in fertilizer alone. I think you need to add the fertilizer to the soil. <laughs> so you need balance. <clears throat> that might be more of what this is all really about is finding balance and recognizing what is bullshit and what is not is an inside job. That's not something other people can tell you. And your reaction to other people reflecting things to you or telling you what they think is very telling. I, uh, I've had many experiences with my coach where she'll say something to me or ask a question and my reaction is to get really defensive. And I know now that if my reaction is defensive, I am probably, um, I'm probably just trying to protect something. And that's one of my tells. I, I love to keep a death grip on the things that I'm doing and not let other people be involved in them. And then it's funny because I hire people to help me with that and then I defend against them. <laughs> it's cute. Um, eventually I put it down. But there's something about saying your bullshit out loud to another human being that after a while has it become untenable. You hear it so much that you can't let it go anymore. I was doing it just earlier today. Um, Cassidy was asking me to do something and I was like, I don't have enough time. And then... I only had 12 minutes until I had to get on the phone for a really long time. But you know what? I managed to do the thing she was asking in 12 minutes because I looked at my own bullshit in the text thread and I was like, mm, that's some bullshit. I'm just, no, I can't. I can't actually let that go because I can feel it. I can feel that that's me limiting myself. It's me saying, it's me being in scarcity. I don't have enough time. Um, I guess, and bear with me as I'm, I'm really, uh, if you can't tell, um, thinking about this out, like talking it out as I go, I didn't have this all figured out before I hit record, but I do think that bullshit is in the eye of the beholder and that you get to say what you're going to tolerate or not in your life. You know, for example, if you're like, I can't do this because I don't have money or I don't have the money. I can't afford that right now. Um, <clears throat> we'll just use that as an example. It's been my experience that when there's something that I really want, I don't say I can't afford it. I don't say that. I, I typically will be in a conversation about figuring out how. Like... um if I, and I've actually, I've been to a Gwen Stefani concert and I've been to a No Doubt concert. Gwen Stefani is one of my favorite singers in the whole world. And so at some point in college, one of my friends was like, hey, No Doubt is touring and we need to go see them and I can get tickets. And I could very easily have said, I can't afford that. And, you know, statistically, I could not afford that. If you really looked at my bank account and my bills and my debt and everything, I could not. And yet I was not in that conversation. I was in a, wow, okay, yeah, buy them and I'm going to figure out a way to pay you. You know, I don't know. I will sell things. I'll do, I'll figure something out. Um, 
And I have many stories like this where there was something I really, really wanted. Uh, another one is that I was in this, I, I did competitive color guard from ninth, eighth or ninth grade until I graduated high school. And then also for a year in uh, college, I did a competitive indoor winter guard in New Jersey. And part of the competition circuit is, you know, you, you have to, your team has to get out there. And, and our, we got invited to world championships, uh, literally world, like there were Japanese guards, there was guards from all over the world in San Diego. And so I had to pay for a ticket from New Jersey to San Diego. And I didn't, again, I did not have, I couldn't even afford college. Every single summer when I came home, my mom would be like, yeah, we can't send you back. That was my reality. I had to I, I, that's a whole other story of how I paid for college because that was also hustling to the max. Um, but the the color guard thing, they gave us those boxes of candy that you sell. You like pay you pay twenty five dollars and it's a box of fifty. So you uh, you sell each candy bar for a dollar. So you end up making twenty five dollars a box. And I had to sell like fifteen or sixteen or twenty. I don't know a lot of boxes. I just saw a lot of boxes to pay for a plane ticket from New Jersey to California, which at the time was around, I don't know, 600 and then taxes. And then also I needed money for like food and stuff. So it wasn't just that. I, I probably needed around $1,000 um, to go on the trip. And, uh, and so I went door to door at the dorms like every night. Every, and I would I would do like this these dorms on Monday and then these dorms on Tuesday. I figured out where all the stoners were and I you know like sold a lot to them. Um, I enlisted friends to go with me. We wore low cut shirts. <laughs> it was like whatever works, we're gonna do it because I'm going to fucking San Diego. I'm making this happen for me. And and so any time in my life. When I say, oh, I can't afford that, I know that that's bullshit, 100%. It might be that I do not value the thing enough to go through all that trouble, and that's a different conversation. No, I don't really see the value in that for me to have to go to so much trouble to do it. That's a different conversation than I can't. It's not I can't, it's I won't. And that's fine, but I think there's a, a real value in being clear that you won't or that you don't. I don't want that. That's different than I can't, you know? Um, another one another one that people have been coming to me and being like, is this bullshit? Is It's not the right time for me. So I'm not, I'm not a no, I'm more like a not right now or like a maybe, which I'm cool with, you know, you know what's best for you. Um, but I also have to wonder when, when is the right time? What does that mean? And have you actually thought about that? Because usually my experience when, when like I'm talking to somebody who might hire me as a coach and they say, I just don't know if it's the right time. I say, okay, what is your, um, what are the qualities of the right time for you? And they don't know. They usually don't know. And they might make something up in the moment, or maybe they did know. Occasionally, I meet people who are like very structured and know these things. Um, I don't really understand that. I don't, I don't think about my life in that way. But uh, usually, the, the reason falls apart once questioned, because 
in truth, there is no right time for anything except the time you choose. Like right and wrong around timing is, I think, a fallacy. And, And gosh, it wasn't the right time for COVID to hit. Yeah. And it certainly didn't, um, not everyone it was even able to make, uh, to make lemonade out of these lemons, for sure. But I think a lot of people have learned how to be in the impact of something you can't control and rise above it in some way or find something really great about it. And, um, and so I'm, I'm always very interested in that it's not the right time thing because it seems like it's rooted in control and there's not a lot of trust and creation in it. Usually when I say, not right now, it's not the right time, it's not because the thing that's being offered to me is something I don't want. It's typically because I can't even, I can't, even take the space to wrap my brain around it. I'm overwhelmed in my life in some way. And I kind of just want to keep that train rolling and not be interrupted. It's sort of like the thing I mentioned before where I get defensive when my coach asks me a question or calls me out on something. I'm like, I am doing something right now. Can you leave me alone, please? Even if it th- it's not that vicious, I'm not vicious with her at all. I'm, I'm, I, talk, I can talk a big game sometimes, but I'm a bit of a kitten. Um, yeah. So like it, I I'll I'll get defensive like I don't want you to be a part like it it probably comes from just wanting to be left alone when I was playing as a kid. Like don't ask me to come do the dishes, mom. I'm busy playing my video games. Um but yeah, we have this resistance to being partnered with and even being in com- like supportive conversations around what we say we want but feel like we can't have. Like I've had many conversations with potential clients where they say they want to work with me, but X excuse. And then I offer to like talk it through with them and they, they refuse to get on the phone with me and talk it through probably because they think that I'm going to try and manipulate them or, or sell them or convince them. But actually my job as a coach is not to set it up where it's me versus you. And we're now at odds because I want you to do something and you don't want to do it. That's not coaching. Mirrors don't tell you how to do your hair, for example, and nor does a coach. What I will do with and for you is reflect what I notice and ask a lot of questions. And, And that's in service of you being clearer because so often we're just like, no, thank you. No. And we don't even really think about what were uh, like when you're in a, a store and a salesperson walks up to you and asks if you need help. And even if you do need help, you're like, no, thank you. I'm fine. That thing. That's the thing I'm talking about. And I do think that that's bullshit. And I think that if you're willing and open to receive support around, I don't know, anything that you're considering doing, but feeling like it's not the right time or anything that you're struggling with, you end up more confident on the other side. Because you've, it's like you're more confident about how you look because you looked in a mirror and you saw it clearly without distortion. So that's the point of talking it out with a coach is to get clearer on what you already know and maybe even discover 
something you like low key knew. It was like under the surface, but you you hadn't quite put it into words yet. And you find after that experience that you can walk more confidently into something or you could say no to something more confidently. And here's my second thing that I wanted for this episode. I have these on post-it notes here. here. Here it is. When you're making choices and you feel like there's only one option, I have to say no because of X reason. That's not a choice. That is an obligation or, I don't know, some other synonym of obligation. Like, in order for no to be an option on a list of options, then yes needs to also be an option, one that you could fully see happening. So whenever people are trying to decide yes or no on something, my uh, the, the place I look is like, how could you be a yes I'll give you a great example. I had a client who w- uh, wanted to quit their full-time job uh, that they absolutely hated. Like they hated it. They hated the people. They hated the, the work they were doing, the environment, everything about it they loathed. And the thing I, I asked them was like, how could you love it there? <laughs> Which just seems so counterintuitive. This person like hired me to help them get the F out of this job that they hated. But the work we did was around having them find a way to really love what they were doing there so that the choice to leave was truly a choice and not, I have to get out of here. Because I have to get out of here is a running away, is a disempowered thing. It's, it's not actually a choice, it's a have to. And if you go ask anyone, would you like to have choices or have tos in your life? No one's going to pick the have tos. And yet we do it all the time to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. We're like, no, I have to, I can't, I must. Um, And we don't get a lot of the power phrases going like, I won't, I choose not to, I don't see value in that, I do see value in that, I'm going to figure out a way to work it out. I'm going to figure this out. I have power in my life. We don't typically go there. So we end up obligated around most of our decisions and they're mostly based in external circumstances that have us... um, just at the mercy of anything external. It's like, it's like, well, it's raining, so I guess I can't, you know, live my life today. We don't, I mean, we kind of do that when it rains, when it snows. Um, either way, the power is out there. It's external. It's things around us. And um, so a different conversation, like, Uh, Like that person was able to uh, walk away with all the relationships at that job intact, in fact, better. Like they they were able to repair relationships at the job and leave joyfully to go to their dream city. And and they left that city and, and moved to another city, got engaged bought a house, got out of debt <laughs> all when we were working together. It was wild. And that was in my first year as a coach. Um, so that was crazy to me. Um, also, it seems counterintuitive to hire a coach to support you in quitting a job and getting out of debt. And yet, that's what we did. And um, and I think it all has to do with this getting into your power around the choices that you're making in life and having them truly be choices rather than things that you are obligated to do. So I think that this, is this my bullshit or not question mixed with 
can you choose yes and no? I think these are important in some way. And again, I'm ideating out loud. I'm not, I don't have this all figured out. But if you haven't sorted out how you could be a yes right now, then your no is not a choice. It's happening to you. It's not being done by you. And it is inherently not empowered. So in that way, it probably is bullshit because you're not being totally honest with yourself about the answers to all these questions. Um, so definitely one to think on. And if, uh, you know, I'm sure some of you that are listening to this are the people I talked to or DM'd with in some way. So give it a think. Let me know what you come up with. And if you want to actually talk it through with me if and you went to the live event, I will talk to you about it. Happy to. Because um, this is what I do for a living. I talk to people about what the F is getting in their way and um, and how to move past it and just have a different relationship with choices. And it, it's not like I'm on the other side of this and never have a moment where I am not sure or where I'm choosing from a weird place or giving myself no options. It happens all the time. It's just that I, I can recognize it and change course. And that's what I want for everybody. I just want people to like have facility to choose the way their life goes rather than having it happen to them. And I know that this was born out of things like watching my mom be in a job she hated for so many years, just so many years. (laughs) Um, And I really think it contributed greatly to her getting sick. When she got sick, I I was like, "Mm, yeah, I'm I'm never going to work in a job that I don't like. And I'm very proud to say that I, the longest I spent at a job I really hated was a month, and that was the only month I worked there. I had four jobs at the time, so I, I quit one of them. <laughs> I was so miserable. Um, I was a receptionist at a hair salon in Brooklyn, and they were pretty abusive. Um, they were even like gaslighty when I told them I wanted to quit. They like the 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 boss cried. And was like, but you're a part of our family. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> she was so, she accused me of stealing money all the time. Like, it was a terrible, terrible job, terrible place to work, horrible culture. Everything about it sucked. Um, I was like, you are not paying me enough to deal with this. I'm out. I'm out. Um, and I was always hustling for jobs. I was also a waitress and I, I got an, an internship at the time that I turned into a paid position and, um, I was just working all the time then. I'm working all the time now. It's just I'm not, now I'm working on all of the things that I actually want to be working on. It's sort of like in the first few years of college, you work, you do like uh, the gen eds. You have to take math and science and whatever, no matter what your major is. And then in the last two years, you get to actually do what you're there for, which for me was film and psychology. And it was fun. Um, fun little tangents there. So, uh, I hope this was useful, and if you're interested in bullshit rehab, it's up on my website. You can check it out, michelleagan.com, and, you know, if you're having some bullshit around it and you want to work that out, cool, but I definitely think um, it's an important step to take a look at what it is and actually think about what value would I need to get from something like this in order for it to be worth it to me. That's an important question. Uh, And then, do I want that? 
for myself or not. And uh, I'll just say also that the things that I mentioned, like really hustling to go to college and really hustling for that plane ticket to San Diego, that was all just stuff that my heart, my heart was like, yes, I need that. I really need that to happen. And, um, and so if your heart's trying to say that to you and you're blocking it out with some external bullshit, then that, that deserves some looking at because I think what we're really up to is as creatives, as artists is getting more and more in touch with our intuition, what we really think, feel, believe. I was talking to one of my clients that is a musician, um, and they were saying how challenging it is as a songwriter to actually access our real depth of emotion. And I, I relate to that. I have sat here and have written lyrics that are super surface level, and then I'll touch on one that's really deep and go, ooh, that's rough. It's rough to go there. It's, it's scary, um, which is why I recommend not doing it alone <laughs> on all fronts, of course. But yeah. I think that's what we're up to is being able to access our intuition and, and really feel into it more and more and more. So that's what I want for all of you. And uh, that's all I have to say on the bullshit spectrum and choosing. I hope this was helpful to you. And um, I'll be back soon with another episode. I may take a little break from having guests for a bit. I'm enjoying this format. Um, but we shall see. So thanks for joining. Bye. Wake up with your bullshit on.